You're listening to the Truth in Cannabis podcast brought to you by Farm True, a proud American hemp company. For links to all our episodes and more cannabis content, visit www.farmtrue.care. As always, please subscribe and share if you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Truth in Cannabis podcast today. We're over here in Deming, New Mexico for a field trip over here at Waterloo Produce and uh, Kilo Family Farms and however else this place should be introduced. You know, um, I'm here with Travis Canute, Leah Gronis here, and Mr. Catlin Keeler himself. And so guys, please tell us about yourself. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about who you are and, and kind of what you do. Okay. Uh, so I'm uh, my name's Travis, and uh, basically what I do here is, is I, I'm the operations guy and, and the agronomist and head grower. Um, my responsibility is, is the greenhouse and growing things inside the greenhouse and just the overall health of the farming operation uh, in its entirety. Uh, been growing in the greenhouses now for 20 years. Uh, the majority of my career I've spent out in North Carolina. Uh, where I grew annuals and perennials for it's the world's largest single site facility. It's called Metrolina Greenhouses. Uh, great, great company that I worked with. Um, learned a lot with them, and that's, that's where a lot of my uh, successes comes because of them. And so, um, but yeah, I came out, started in January. I uh, came out here, Catlin and, and his dad, my brother in law, were saying, Hey, we, you know, we, we want to grow some hemp inside the greenhouses. Can you do it? He's like, well, yeah, you can grow anything inside of the greenhouse. So, of course, <laughs> yeah. let's do it. So I, I, I moved down here to uh, be a part of the family business. And so my talent just comes in taking care of the plants that we have inside the greenhouse. So. Jumping into the hemp industry in a couple of years and then obviously trying to establish the practice and a protocol and get through consistent with your customers. I mean, you guys seem to be doing a really good job. We just took the whole tour and um, definitely catch some bits on video here as well later. Uh, but Catlin, again, yeah, please talk to me about yourself, man. So, Catlin, 45. Uh, I just went back to the family business three years ago. Um, I came here, didn't really know a thing about farming or anything. I just kind of drove a tractor, built some sports growing up. And now, didn't know a thing about farming at I grew up on a farm and literally hardly worked. I was always playing baseball, football. Um, but the last few years have been <clears throat> very important. I grew up a lot. Um, I run our running shed, I run the warehouse. I do all our packing, make sure we ship in trucks, ship out trucks. Um, I do groundwork out on the farm. I help irrigation. I move equipment around. I make sure it's getting planted. I make sure we hit. We, we, Everything's planted, everything's in for so these guys make it a lot easier. And I also do our hemp. Um, I do uh, our smokable line, so I trim, cut, and I do what it sells for the smokable line. And they're growing the greenhouse. Um, Travis said we need to do the sales, and I don't want to do it. So I've been on the phone since February trying to set up sales and different ideas and my money where we can just come from. And especially with the hemp, there's so much out there. I got a joint company. And Little things like that, and just the farm, the farm keeps us busy, and also broker chilies for the good price. <laughs> right, and you guys, I mean, talk about the match of the greenhouse with you know the sales and the smokable, and 
the things that you guys are trying to put on together here this year. Last year, I mean, you guys were in the hemp game. Talk to us about the hemp industry and how it treated you guys last year, first year here down here in Mexico, Arizona, and wherever else you were operating. Yeah, so um, the hemp industry is, it's kind of new, but it's not really. I mean, we've had people growing hemp for thousands of years. Uh, but more on a commercial production level, it's relatively new to us uh, in the United States. It just opened up a couple of years ago in New Mexico. Uh, definitely had some learning curves that we had to learn how to grow it, how to grow it outside in the field, make sure that we're hitting the tonnage, grow the quality premium bud, how to keep it from, you know, turning into seeds. You know, you got learning the difference between the male plants and the female plant, roguing out the male so it doesn't fertilize the female and produce the seed. So the quality was uh, definitely a learning curve for us um, on the growing side of it. And uh, I think you want to talk on the sales side? Yeah. So pretty much like what Travis said, is making sure there's no seed. We had a little problem down the field with passion because it's very hard for it to put some irrigation and moisture. And a lot of it was crop pollination, farming next door. Or, you know, some of the big growing marijuana, a couple of houses down the top formation to get over, but the seeds is a big thing for me to see the germ, making sure everything's getting calculated right. Um, as far as sales, sales is the hardest thing. I mean, anyone can grow it. I think, or my uncle told me a couple of weeks ago, leave it to a farmer to saturate the market, and that's definitely true. They can grow all the hemp you want. I mean, we can grow thousands of acres and yield like crazy, but if there's no outlet, and you got to come up with something. I mean, everyone at this time last year was like, we're going to make fifty, sixty thousand dollars a crop or an yeah. acre, blah, blah, blah. This is what you're going to make. You do this, you're going to sell, you know, you get in the cleaning business and these are worth three to five bucks. I mean, you hear, you hear astronomical numbers and everyone's like, oh my God, like probably one buddy, hey, look at this. Like if we grow 12 acres, bro, that's going to be more than we can retire. Yeah, we can retire. We can grow, we can grow hemp. We can grow hemp one year, and then we don't have to grow chili or onions. And we, we're going to net. We're right. going to net. We're going to net fifty thousand an acre, and twelve acres. That's you know that's quite a bit. Or eighteen acres or thirty six. Some people went up by five hundred acres. And the biggest thing about the cells right now is there's no outlets. I mean, smokable like I had a deal with the group. They're out of Colorado and Illinois, and they. Uh, they came in and said, hey, we're going to take your stuff at 60 bucks a pound as is. So I sat on it from all the way from middle of October all the way to January. And these guys just never like, like I have people telling me, hey, we'll take it for this. Like calls, but it's like the day you ask, okay, where's the checkbook? You never saw it, you know? So yeah, there's a lot of talk in the cells. Like I get calls all the time. Hey, do you have 500 pounds of this? Well, yeah. Well, can, you know, can you send me a sample? So I send a sample, don't hear anything back. I never put anything out without it. I never send anything unless they full pay me because there's so many there's so many bad hands out there that make making this our uh, industry look good, but there's also good hands like you guys. We got Eagle Moon going over. We got people that are actually good people in this industry. But as far as my line, I don't do anything with oils because right now there's so many there's so much biomass out there's so much oils. Like I bought a CBD bottle the other day, or in February and I just ran out of it. So if you think about all the biomass, I mean, there's a million pounds in the Greeley area of biomass trying to get extracted. Like, where's the outlets? And that's the thing that scares me about the industry is where's the outlets and oils? So my head, I thought, okay, middle of January, 
this cop is just sitting here on my hanging shed floor. What do I do with it? Like, so I talked to this guy and my dad, my dad and Travis, like, you just need to go on the road and learn how to do this. Sure enough, I hit five states, watched different ideas, watched different things, watched a buddy of mine kind of go through the daily process, and I was like, I can do this. Like, so I started being creative. I started putting in joints. I started putting in half pound bags. I started putting in pound. I made my own website. I started calling. Like, I, I make phone calls every day to El Paso, Houston, Silver. Arizona, Nevada, and now I'm meeting my market. Yeah, I got turned down a bunch, and I got some. I got I lost some money from it because I was sending out samples, sending out samples, and I wasn't returning. And it just took one sale for me to just to cash flow it over where I was getting myself. I'm getting everything as far as that. And right now in the hemp industry, like you guys, you guys got your own podcast, you got some more, you can open up your own little shop. It's like you got to be creative because it's so saturated right now. Anyone can sell a product and there's nothing out there on the line. It's all about who can be the most creative right now in the saturated market. Because the saturated market will teach you in the long run how easy it was to when it, when anyone has a good button or it's sure. like supply and demand. Yeah. Right? Right. That's it sounds like that's how we're seeing it. We knew that this could be such a revolutionary industry. Mm-hmm. We all jumped in, we all planted so many acres. How many acres did you try to do? We did eighteen. Eighteen. We wanted to go big, we wanted to do 100, but it's like, we started penciling in, yeah, it well, sounds good. Curve, right? Well, right. got to be careful. It too. sounds good, and you talk to these buyers, yeah, we're going to do this, 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 but I know a few people that they had their investors, and as soon as they got time to run, vanish. Or as soon as the crop came off, where's the buyers at? Where's the money at? How many times do you see a guy walk out? I mean, you've done farming your whole life. How many times have you seen a buyer walk out and give you cash right there for coming there? It's unheard of. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I want to be very careful. We're not calling people out there in the market a bunch of crooks or thieves. I think everybody had. We, we were all sitting on the cloud nine, thinking, "Oh yeah, this stuff will be easy to grow. It'll be easy to sell." Because look, look at the profitability. If it's there, it's going to be good for us. If these, these sellers can say they can sell it, like they said they can sell it, then that's going to be great because this is going to be the new. Uh, the next best thing to slice bread for agriculture will be you know, and that's kind of what farmers were needing because right now farmers are struggling. You know, it, it's with the pressures coming in from Mexico on vegetable production and you know our costs going up through the roof. Fertilizers are up 313 percent just in the last five years. Uh, diesel and fuel is up uh, 117 percent. Uh, just the cost of seed alone can about break you. You know, so it's, it's the farmers are, are, are looking, we're, we're in desperation trying to find a way that we can continue our lifestyle. Um, you have to be passionate to be a farmer uh, because this this uh, this industry will make or break you. And if you're not passionate about you, uh, you you'll you know you'll you'll get yourself lost out very quickly. So when it comes to finding this new crop, we really were all we were all banking that it was going to be fun. And so, and everybody else, even the sellers, thought the same thing. Like, oh yeah, this stuff should be easy to move. But then, when the rubber hit the road, and the sellers realized, oh, this stuff isn't as easy to move as we thought it was going to be. And the farmers had already had, you know, I think it was like twelve thousand five hundred acres already planted throughout the United States. You know, we had all of this inventory sitting on the ground, and now we had nothing for it. So the farmers were the one that rolled the dice. We're the ones that put all the money into it. And and now nobody can move it. So now, as farmers, we're trying to recoup from all that. And so, 
that's the reason why we kind of told Catlin, like, you got to get on the road and be creative. See what's working, what's not working. Because we, you know, we've got 25,000 pounds sitting out here on the ship floor that we've got to do something with. We've got to try to recapture our cost out of this thing. Even if it's not the, you know, three, four hundred bucks a pound that everybody's promised that it was going to be, get five or six dollars a pound. Just get it off the floor to try to recapture our cost. Right. I mean, that's my lowest I've sold like to seventy bucks. Seventy bucks a pound. Seventy bucks a pound. My lowest I've seen a high of two hundred. But and we're talking all <coughs> smokable. Market, all smokable. Right? Market, yeah. yeah I don't, and we're talking pound for pound. There's nobody out there buying bonds. New Mexico Department of Agriculture approved. Feel free to hit these guys up. They put about pounds. Yeah, and a lot more pounds. Yeah. Do y'all think that there is any excuse for the lack of demand because of you know, some maybe regulation standpoint, different states being in different stages of cannabis or whatever it is, you know. Well, hey, back in the 40s, it was a really big commodity item that was doing in the United States. I mean, hemp is such a diversified crop. You can make plastics out of it, you can make rope, you can make clothes, you can, you know, there's a lot of benefits to it. But um, when the government shut down the production, we've all kind of lost. The knowledge of hemp and the, all of its benefits. They erased it. So now what you're looking at is is it's really brand new to a lot of our generation, and we're just now starting to understand the benefits of it again. So I think there's a future for hemp, and I believe that there. Uh, I have a you know I firmly believe that there's going to be outlets coming, but it's just going to take time, right? Farmers, we need to just kind of slow down a little bit and not get so excited about something. And we need to let the outlets develop. And once those outlets develop, then you're going to see farmers that'll focus on biomass. And you'll see farmers that focus on, um, uh, you know, smokable farmers that'll focus on seed production, all that kind of stuff. So eventually, the, the outlets will be there, but we have to let the, the markets mature for that to happen. Well, that kind of leads into another question on your plans for this year and kind of years going forward. Yeah, like we talked about. You found a smokable niche here as a farmer and being able to off, like offload your crop and continuously make some money. And so I, I know you're going to keep going. And so you guys are running the greenhouse. You guys, you know, talk about talk about it a little bit. So our biggest thing is right now the big the big thing about smokable is the buyers right now want to take this stuff. They want to come in. Gotta be sweet, basic. I'm gonna be done. I'm gonna try to do it. Quality, but quality yeah. smokable, Gucci. That from the salesman himself, like that if, is what you're looking you for at the buyer. If you and if it doesn't have a turf and it doesn't have a smell, you're not gonna sell it. If it doesn't have a big round bud, you're not gonna. And it doesn't have, you know, if it doesn't have a quality, you might as well turn it into biomass. But what's biomass? It's seventy-eight cents a pound, maybe. So our biggest thing this year is to market ourselves into the greenhouse. We want it. We're gonna go strictly indoors. We're only going to do uh, we're only going to do smokable indoor because we can we kind of figured out pin it down. We talked about it. We had our little meetings, but I can have three hundred to four hundred pounds coming out for every week that will turn in. I can have quality three hundred pounds to six hundred pounds, almost twelve hundred pounds a month, or I can go plant it in three weeks. It comes off with the rest of the United States in September, October, and then now I'm in a market where everyone's coming out, and then I. I get my clientele, I keep them fed, I keep them happy. The greenhouse is making money, I help the greenhouse, you know what I mean? It's just always, and then people see like, hey, holy, like, what are you guys doing? What, you know, 
And that's when we can get like seed production, seed cells. And that's where he comes in and gives us the seeds with the, you know, with the genetics and well, this part, that piece of food. We tried some different stuff on the first row. Is it successful? Yeah, it was a successful row, but there's so much to be done. I mean, just like what you guys did with pasture, I mean, everything we learned differently, you know. Yeah, like put it in perspective, we started out with, uh, it was 2,200 plants of smokable, and it narrowed down from all the trial that we put it through, we pulled off 200 plants. You know, that, that was going to meet the grades of cattle milk. And so these are all these varieties that we're testing out and looking for certain aspects of it uh, just to allow Catlin to be successful on the sales side. There's a lot of R&D research and development that goes on a nice, you know, to give him that quality that he's looking for. So, you know, people say, well, you got a ton of them in there, but that doesn't mean we're going to ship all of that. It's the, we're still running our trials to see which ones don't work. And then once we capitalize on those three or four varieties, then we can get into volume. But I've told Catlin this from day one, I'm never going to grow anything unless I have it sold. So, yeah. So that's why Catlin, he, he gets real mad at me because I make him my order back. Because I got to make sure that I got to protect my aspect of the business to make sure that I can keep growing inside of the greenhouse. The only way I can do that is making sure I have secured orders. And so that's, that's why I put the pressure on Catlin. Like, I'm not planning until I have an order. They charge me. Oh, I do. <laughs> I do. I get. I get a charge too. But like you guys said, like the biggest this industry, it was like another outlet for the farmers. Like Shirley's like the only plant that grows and wants to die. So like around here, labor's getting harder and harder to find. So we want to replace him. But once we get Shirley, because in three to four years, where is he going to be at? Shirley, we barely just went up with his contracts. You know what I mean? But minimum wage is going up. The bucket's going up. So hands, we can literally just do this. By a machine, and it, it, you can harvest it, you know, it can be machine harvest or whatever. So it's another outlet, it's like, my uncle said, it's another outlet to make money. I mean, it's better than growing 52 cent cotton, it's better than growing corn silage right now. All the commodities are down, so it's another outlet that we can help provide for our crop. And we, the studies are saying that it could be a good cover crop. So, I mean, it could really help more surge of ground. We, we didn't plan anything behind our hemp this year. But eventually, like once you get like he said, once it becomes a bigger industry, and once you have your smoke, where you stabilize, you stabilize everything, then him can him can be like kind of like weekly or you know something like something where we're always like it goes to different outlets. Is it the next chili? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Chili is chili's taking eighty years to develop to where it is today. You know what I mean? I think hemp hemp is going to be one of those things where we're not going to see it stabilize within our own generation. I mean, we're, we've got to invest 30 to 40 years in here to get back to where I think it used to be back in the 40s. So, That's a good point. Yeah. It's we've just, got, we're playing catch up. We're playing catch up because we, we went 60 years without the knowledge of it. And now that we're learning about it again, um, we'll get it figured out. It's just going to take time to mature. So going forward, a lot of skill going with, you know, Different writers and strains, trying to figure out what works best for you guys. Mm -hmm. Getting creative with the sales channels to try to find a place to move it. Right. And then evaluating. Yeah, and as that and as that develops, then you know we're able to. Uh, you know, the, our ultimate goal, Catlin and my ultimate goal is, we we want to be the best in the industry that we're a part of. You know, and if that's the hemp industry, 
you know, we, we take that very serious. We don't look at it as we're going to become millionaires overnight. It's what can we do for the industry that's going to benefit man. That's our passion. That's our drive, right? I don't want the I don't want the whole smoke of industry. I don't want I don't want to be the biggest guy. You know, I mean, eventually, like, yeah, I want to be the biggest guy. You know, that's what I mean. Like, that's my goal. But if I just have my main clients, my local clients, Arizona, and I can grow a big smokeable product, it's gonna market itself. Eventually, it's gonna spread out, just like you guys are okay. just like you're real, just like on all the Instagram stuff you do. And so our biggest thing is. Where'd you get the genetics from? The genetics are right here. It's my own thing. Just create one big team. But right now, I'm just trying to hit little spots. And I don't, like he said, I don't want to get rich overnight. I want to make it a long term. Because that way, if we do go back to out there, it will. It can help us out kind of actually a lot of stuff that our farmers do is grow through here or cotton. They have, but they get the weed belt. They clean this field. They do this. A lot, of, a lot of stuff we grow, we don't make money off of these days. We live in markets. Have our produce packed to it, you know. And again, like, there's so much, like, one part, like, our whole version, obviously, it looked really nice and it probably got really crap, but it had a little bit Our T1, that was our best plant. And it was like, it was an auto boost. So, like, it came up, got huge. And then our cherry wine wasn't as big, but it had higher CBD. So, my plant isn't as big as my T1, and my whole is hot on some of it. But I have CBD, I have CBD, a higher percentage on a plant that's twisted and a cherry wine that's, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's weird how all these plants develop and every plant's different. So to uh, take a little bit more of their time here off of work, and I really do appreciate you guys for, you know, for your time here. Um, hey, little segment, call versus seed. You were talking talking to me a little bit about that earlier, kind of why you guys do what you do. Um, so clone versus seed, a lot of farmers have a lot of questions, um, what to grow, what to grow instead of the greenhouse, what to buy uh, for their farm. Farmers are the only people who buy at retail and sell at wholesale, part of what you're doing, right? Yeah. Right. So what do you guys think as part of that long debate? Part of it, because I was bigger cloned last year, right before we got here, and <clears throat> cloning is pain in the butt. Like, you get an order for 150000 and then you gotta go find a tree of 10 to 20 people. Then you gotta treat them like teach them how to clone. Then you gotta go get this plug, and then you gotta plug it in, and then it's gotta be the lighting, it's gotta be the bicycle. The weather, everything's gotta be perfect inside for this one, and like that. So I think the scale is like a, I think seed, going direct seed into what we were doing out in the greenhouse area, I think that's the way to go, because you can control it from point A to point B. Um, from the greenhouse to the field, you know, anytime you know your plants, you don't know where you got your mother plants from, you know, people are in mother plants all over the United States, but you don't know where that mother plant, mother plant came from, is it first generation, is it second generation, how many times has it been cloned off a mother to get the plants, and they replant them to make more mother plants, and now run a third generation mother plant, and that can see the yield, it's easier and more effective to be seeded because it takes Two guys in the greenhouse do what we need to do for a complex issue, and the clones like people. You know, I talked to a guy. He said we talked to uh, guys out in Colorado. They said the million clones was the hardest damn thing because it's hard. You gotta, you literally gotta clone about 1.4 million, 1.5 million because some of those are gonna die just cloning them, and then you take them out to the field, and 10 to 15 percent of them die because of weather. And the, the skin is this big, 
and what you'll see or what you'll see is what the auto like the team one that we have the real skin is this much bigger on here we go a lot of wind it's windy from april all the way to about june middle of june and then we get rainy middle of july so one hailstorm it's like ten so it's not what you're saying not just more efficient saves time it's not like a quality control like quality yeah. control for the pump right so so my view is a little bit different than Kevin's. Um, for me, being in the greenhouse industry for 20 years now, uh, we look at everything from seed to sale or from cutting to sale. But to get from, from seed to sale is one thing, but getting from a cutting to a sale is a different aspect of it. Uh, the way that we approached it is, is more traditional what you see inside the greenhouse industry is we partner up with geneticists, genetics that we go out and we say, okay, these are the certain characteristics that we're looking for. And within those, those certain characteristics, we want to grow those plants out in the field, and then we'll harvest that seed. We'll take that seed, we'll then grow them out inside the greenhouse, and if it's compatible for what it is, the qualities that we're looking for, then that's kind of that group that we stick with, right? But for me, I like to start out with the seed, control the aspects and everything that I'm looking for in that particular variety of everything that Catlin wants in his sale, and then once I'm able to kind of narrow in on those specific characteristics of that plant for his sale team, then what I do is I can take clones off of that and I can clone them. But if your facilities are not set up to handle clones, don't do it. Because you, Callan's absolutely right. You have to have a very special type of setup to grow clones and to be efficient and to be profitable at doing that. For us, because we're just starting out, um, seed all the way we like the seeds because i've already partnered up with groups uh in colorado to that i have proven genetic lines that i know works and i'm able to do a, a fast turnaround inside of my plants to supply our customer demands and our customer needs at home over time uh as we get better at our job um we're, we're, we're we can narrow in the exact characteristic that catlin wants in his sales and I might set up a, a clone operation, but that's years down the road. But seed is so much easier to start out with. You don't have to have near as much labor. You don't have to have near as much capital. Um, if you have zero knowledge inside the greenhouse, don't attempt it. Just do the seed. That's the same thing. You'll, you'll be a lot more successful. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think that people probably are coming right now, so why don't we just put it in the farmer and go home? Why don't we just take it down? Don't even go into the greenhouse. Let's go direct seed. Which is fine. You can do that, but this, like Travis said, you, we can literally control it. So, okay, now, what if we have a now and we can pull up the now right away? We can see it right away from point A to point B, like I've been kind of teaching. Right? You can literally propagate it and get it up to here, up to, when it gets to right here, even in the greenhouse, it's right here. One windstorm, 15 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour. What's it doing? It's popping up. And, but with these, the nice thing about this seed, there's there's varieties that has a strong stem, but when it gets to right here, it's going to have a thick stem on the clones that we got. I don't know what you guys, but it was long, and the stem was, you know, not even thick. It didn't have enough, hard yeah. enough roots. It was just a big upper body with no lower body to keep it to fall over, you know what I mean? Right. So that's why, and yeah, clones, I mean, you can go either way. Clones, we had a good success with the auto bee seed. So we, like he said, we got in touch with a bunch of guys, you know, our clones, they did okay, but I just saw better successful for my market for smokable 
could be received. And they're not set up for change. The labor, all the people you have to have, like he said, it's just harder and harder. But, but the but this, the body that we have right now in the greenhouse is going to be a great smokable bin. I've seen it. We did it last year for some of the similar variety of this. And I see how big the buds here. As you know, the THC is going to be, the THC is not going to be one plant hot. This plant is going to be sustainable, hopefully. You can't the consistent it. Yeah, it's a consistent across the board. Thing. The, the problem what I had last year is I had, I'll go to this plant and I'll go test it and I'll have 17% CBD. But I'll go to this plant and I'll have 9% CBD. But this plant would have 0.9 THC, this plant would have 0.24. So where am I leaving that? My all will be, so this plant, <coughs> this plant was at a 17% CBD at a 0.2, and that plant was at a 17 My CBD drink stayed the same, my THC obviously got harder to see, but my CBD and <coughs> the 10 plants that I tested all stayed the same, but my THC levels were one fluctuating, but my cherry lime cones, 9%, 17%, 14%, 13%, so you just have to look at the time, get your COA, yeah, people want to look at your seeds, your COAs, obviously you have to do that, but that's my whole thing, and like, cones, I think they're really up and down as far as the THC levels, in my opinion. The, the other aspect about seed versus clone is the technology is there now to where you can get feminized seed. So you don't have to, cloning, the, the whole reason why people went to cloning is because they could clone them off of a mother plant that they knew was a female and they would get a female every time. Well, the technology is there now to where you can, uh, you know, you're growing the, if you're growing the mother stock, you can have it produce seed and still maintain its femininity. So it'll stay feminine, that seed. And so that's where that's where it's been a benefit to us is because we know that every pound of seed we bring in, 99% of it's feminine. There's that 1% that's going to be male, but like Cal would say, we can spot it really easy. They look very different than female. So you can pull that out and, and get the clone. And I mean, even with cloning, you can't have that compound, right? Exactly. Right. That, that clone can revert back in one way or the other. Can the clones carry disease? Because I've heard from a number of different farmers and all across the country and so oh, on yeah. that they had just wilting the same thing floating around. Wilting the And it goes back to your facilities. If you're not set up to be a cloning facility, don't get into it. Because the capital cost, the capital investment alone will break you. And, and you know, these facilities are sterilized 100% clean. You have to have concrete floors, completely sealed building. You have to wear hair nets and, and gloves and, and white uh, detect sheets and stuff like that when you get into your cloning business. And you know those are the types of companies you want to work with. Don't you know? Don't get clones from from guys like oh I got a greenhouse in the backyard I can clone you whatever you want. <laughs> you know those are the ones you got to question because those are the ones that give guys that are trying to do it right the bad reputation of it. Yeah, the industry, the growing industry, and it's cool because I mean, obviously, it's a great community day. It's cool that I see my buddies getting into it. I'm getting into it. It's an opportunity for our generation to start, you know, something big. Is the sure. onion chili generation? Like my dad, like I'm 20 years away from being what my dad is. 25, 30 years. I'm 20 years behind him on his greenhouse process. You know, we got brokers. They're all older guys. You know, and if everyone's a small firm. The hemp industry is like our generation. Like this can be the next cherry onion generation. Hopefully, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it will be, right. but I'm saying 
it can be like in five years from now we're going to New Mexico State for like hemp, you know, hemp grower, like a million different growers in it's yeah. our it's yeah. our genre and our buddies, you know, like me and Lucas we just shared the hundred grow Lucas is the only person I would buy school from two other guys. But you know, I just but it, it grows cherry fruit. There's not very many but like seeing you guys in hemp, you guys do oils, you guys do pharmaceuticals, grinding stuff like that. It's cool to see that you can take your knowledge from your schooling and bring it to me from well, I'm just a dumb farm boy, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know anything, you know, all I know to do is just be fearless, grow it, and learn how to grow it. That's my industry, and your guys are like the health experts, so to get knowledge for you guys, me, we all grow up, we all pretty much work together, you know, hang out, and it's cool to see that, like, it's cool to see our group, like, our group take over, especially, like, the hemp industry, like, I want to take over because, like, in 20 years down the road, I'm going to be like, man, in 2019, when I first do this stuff, like, what a headache. Just like my dad in 1980, 1990, like I want to have hemp stories go through my life so I can tell my kids. And eventually, chili, if we stop growing chili, we have hemp. We have, we can do 400, 500 acres of hemp and there's an outlet for everything. And I have my own business and I'm broken my own smoke room. I'm selling semi loading. You know, that's, you know, what, that's, you know what I mean? So, like, that's what I'm. Well, the good thing is, is in 20 years, you're going to have something different than that. Some when TNT goes legal, we're going to throw every and then we'll all grow it and all and we'll be in the podcast again. Tell me about your Madagascar melon. Well, well, thanks guys for coming on today. We really appreciate your time. Wrapping up the Truth and Candor podcast. Trey, we have Trey from Farm Crew here as well. I don't really introduce him in the beginning. We'll make sure to shout him out again in the edits, but as well. Anyways, um, take care. Have a good rest of your day. And please tell everybody you know about this podcast.